Welcome to Ms. Roundtable. Glad you're here. Guys, let me start off. I don't like going backwards. I like moving forward. Let me go back just a little bit to last week in the sharing time that I gave with y'all about some personal challenges I was facing and some things that were going on in me. And I shared with the leadership group afterwards that I felt like a total fraud standing up here last week. Forrest Ashworth, who was not here with us, was on the leadership team and responded back to my email and said, man, aren't we all? Aren't we all? I'm thankful. I'm thankful. Please stop. Savior. For me, Amen. forgiveness of my sins that made me right with God. I have more to be thankful of and thankful for than I have. Maybe I'll be reminded of that. Guys, this morning, I was asked by Jeff Stout last week to make a request of this group to keep him and his wife, Taria, in your prayers. She was uh, uh, in transition from one doctor to another, uh, ENT doctor, and the younger doctor said, uh, hey, you're a new patient. Let's do a full workup work and be sure everything's going on. Everything's good. Everything's fine. They did a scan and found a brain tumor. Yeah. My brother Jeff is absolutely scared to death right now. As men, we want to fix it. As men, we want to be able to take care of the issue, take care of the problem. Tuesday this week, he's now in Baltimore. They started at 7 this morning Eastern time with meetings with doctors, consulting, doing tests, figuring out what they're going to do, have a scheduled surgery for Tuesday of next week. If you would, please keep... Taria, the medical staff, and Jeff in your prayers, and I'll keep you updated as we go to the So tickled to be back here. We continue in the series uh, of Joshua and the promise. It's today's lesson. It's going to be a good one. We open for the prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for the opportunity of gathering here today. Lord, I thank you. Reconciled with me with God the Father. Without you, Lord, I have strength. With you, I have strength. Walk with each man here. Be with them. In your name we pray. Amen. Morning, gentlemen. <laughs> Um, I wanted to say a couple of uh, uh, things this morning before we uh, get to my brother and friend Jim Chris. We love him. Jim in the house. The job that Joe did in pinch hitting. I'm grateful for Walter and Steve. Um, thanks, so guys, thank you uh, very much for sharing. Uh, I was out last week because Carla and I were celebrating our 39 And I wanted to uh, tell you just a little bit about that. We, uh, I mean, it's amazing that she's 
Amen. Murder will play that piano. Revival's going to break out. And um, we spent the day at it's about 45 minute drive from our house uh, to put our feet in the car Saturday morning, and I said this you can't talk. Now, that was a dangerous statement. You can't talk. Songs. And I said, I don't know how to express my love for you. Um, to Orange Beach. Yes. <laughs> so I wanted to play just uh, one song uh, that I played uh, for this morning. So I want you to just listen. Just one song. Man, cheer myself up. I picked up my guitar. I sat down. I wrote me a little song. Now this is how it feels to be alone at the top of the hill trying to figure out why. Oh Lord, it's hard to be humble when you're perfect in every way. I can't wait to look in the mirror cause I get better looking each day. To know me is to love me. I must be a hell of a Oh, Lord, it's hard to be humble, but I'm doing the best that I can. Yeah. Perfect sense, actually. She cried all the way to Orange Beach. Yeah. Uh, Eve and I actually, we, we were out last week celebrating our car. And Eva says, now, could you be quiet? We're going to listen yeah, for the six-hour drive. So that's about uh, Jr. in Liberty University. So that's pretty interesting. Um, so this morning, guys, here for a special treat. Jim Chris is, um, is in high demand uh, as a speaker, uh, as a counselor. Uh, he has recently, uh, just in the last year or two, uh, he's been quoted in four different New York Times uh, best-selling books. Um, Jim is, has a background in Christian radio. 
Most everybody in Christian Games counseling book, uh, Jim Mose, uh, the author, uh, on a personal. Uh, he did his uh, graduate work uh, in counseling at Colorado Christian, was mentored and studied under uh, Dr. Larry Crabb, uh, who recently passed away, uh, Jim and Michael John Cusick, uh, who both uh, worked under Larry. Uh, Dr. Crabb uh, did a, a podcast tribute to him, um, which was uh, just absolutely excellent. Uh, Jim is here this week uh, doing, uh, helping us uh, do our couples intensive. Uh, we do two of those a year. And uh, the good thing about this year is that um, Jim has, normally he's here with Eli, uh, but Jim is upgraded um, and he is here with his wife, Jessica, who I will have to say is a, she's, She's a, a big upgrade and a whole lot better looking than Eli. So Jim has Jim has stepped up his game, and so uh, we are so excited to have him and just our friendship together is such a privilege. And you're going to um, a powerful word uh, from. Uh, by Jim. So, Brother Jim, uh, you're up. Testing, testing. Am I on? The broadcaster me just hates not being on. So, I have two. Let's see if this one's wrong. The hour and a thousand of the comatose coxswain. There we go. <laughs> walrus, the walrus, the walrus. Have you anybody heard the, uh, what's that uh, commercial with Flo? Progressive? That's a progressive commercial, man. I've heard it. <clears throat> I knew you were a Tennessee fan, but you actually wrote a freaking orange beach. <laughs> so, Hey, go big orange. Right. Balls all the way. It's closer, but I gotta go to Orange yeah. Beach. Uh, so good to be with you all today. I, um, my wife has never been down here before, so she's with us. Had a great day. We were over here yesterday, and um, we were just at Target up here and running around doing a couple of things. And uh, she said, well, "That's where everything's laid out here, and you seem to know where things are." And I really. About four or five years we've been coming, and I said it feels like a true second home coming down here. Some of you I know better. I always recognize faces. Some of you have been through the workshop that we do, and many of you have been here uh, through the years uh, here for uh, the roundtable. And I just love, absolutely love coming here and trying to appropriately take the fig leaves off and just being guys and being authentic. And uh, today I'm going to look into the word of God. My wife even challenged me yesterday. She said, I know you love Nehemiah. She's one of the most Christian biblical women and real. She's got a tattoo right here that says empowered. No joke. So she's a no lightweight and uh, she's she loves the Lord so much. And um, she said, I know you love Nehemiah. She said, what if God laid on your heart the next time you went down there not to teach that? And I said, thank you. I did. I went to Dallas Theological Cemetery. I did. I do have a seminary degree, 
And I said, yeah, but God keeps showing me, it's nothing new in the text, but he keeps showing me new things in Nehemiah. I do three-day intensives mainly in my counseling practice, and I always say one, two, three, go through Nehemiah. So I've actually shared about Nehemiah, I think once here, but I haven't been in this form here for a couple of years. Uh, the word of God says it, it to itself, it will not return void. So I keep getting new stuff out of it. Maybe you uh, too. In um, 2001, I think we all remember, can you believe we're coming up on the 20th anniversary of 9-11? So I went with the group. If you come to my office in Charlotte, North Carolina, there's a red hard hat with an American flag on it. <clears throat> I went with a group of counselors that, what a Rome, Phil and I are part of called the American Association of Christian Counselors. And uh, we went right after the towers went down, down into the pit, down into ground zero when everything was going on. Uh, I had watched on uh, cable news, uh, as many of you did, I guess we all did, like, wow, all the devastation from the moment the breaking news happened to what, a couple weeks later, who knows how long we watched. <clears throat> and I saw all the pictures and the devastations. That's going to be what Nehemiah is going to do. He's going to find out here in a moment about ground zero. And the towers are down, the walls are destroyed, gates destroyed by fire. And I was a 35-year, still am a broadcaster, a 35-year broadcaster, was a news anchor. I, I was a news junkie and was a reporter. I did all kinds of stuff in my radio career. And I thought I could just feel reporters who were there to be on the scene. But when I went with a group uh, from the American Association of Christian Counselors, as we went in, the number one thing that hit me, which if you ever study trauma stuff, I know you probably aren't going to sit and read about trauma all day, but the olfactory senses, the smell, is the biggest thing. It's the most powerful thing. And I walked in all the devastation. They were still doing, they weren't really much in search and rescue at that time at this point, but they were still excavating. It was live. I mean, it looked like lava coming up out of the ground. We were riding down in, into the pit of this thing. And the number one thing hit me was the smell. I could not smell that on CNN or Fox. So I had to get to the scene, which Nehemiah will say, he's going to hear the report and watch it on TV. Here's what's happened at Ground Zero, but then he's going to go walk that. That happens with us sometimes. You'll see that you'll hear the report. Uh, maybe it's a bad medical report. Maybe it's something where you or someone you know has had the devastation of being discovered, of doing anything that was betraying to a spouse or something, some other struggle, secret struggle you've had. And then there's a sense of walking through, which is what we often do in counseling is someone comes in and says, the towers are down, there's devastation. And then we walk through to see everything. They were allowing us into the morgue where there really weren't bodies, but body parts there. And it was very sacred. We had to you know, mind ourselves and how we did that. That's what we do often in counseling. If someone says, here's my problem, and we begin to walk through the devastation for ourselves. So we're going to take a look at that this morning. Again, God's word says that the word will never return void. So let's listen afresh and move to Nehemiah. I'm just going to pray right now. Lord, bless your word. You always do. Open our eyes to see what you want us to see. Give us wisdom. Give us something new and fresh out of this uh, passage in this brief time this morning. And thank you for that, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. <clears throat> So you don't have to follow along in your Bible. If you do, I see Phil's got the message open here. Um, one version says it this way as it opens. It's pretty profound. Nehemiah was a bullfrog. He was a good friend of mine. That's the Hebrew. Um, 
What I love about this passage is it doesn't need Jim Crass or Phil or Rome to say much. The passage tells the story. I'll comment a little bit on it, but the passage tells the story. The words of Nehemiah, the son of Hakala, it happened in the month of Chislev in the 20th year. I was in Susa, the capital. So here comes Hanani, one of my brothers, and uh, they'd come back and escaped from Judah, from Jerusalem. Nehemiah is there and he says, hey, how's it like you guys may do after a biscuit or when this thing's over this morning? Hey, bro, or you do it at deer camp. How's it really, you know, how's it really going in your life? How you really doing behind those fig leaves? How you doing? Nehemiah says, how is it back home? Really, really, really. I asked them concerning the Jews who escaped who survived the exile concerning Jerusalem, and they said this profound line. They said, the remnant there, those in the province who survived the exile. This next line is where a lot of people who come in their offices are. They're in great trouble and shame. Some of you, at least some of you in this room, Lord knows I know it. Phil, I know it's not the Phil story in Rome's, they know it. <clears throat> in that moment, you say, you know how I'm doing? I'm in great trouble and shame for whatever reason. Why? The wall of Jerusalem is broken down. Its gates are destroyed by fire. The metaphor for us can be something's not going real well in my life right now. Something, again, it might be a medical report. It might be a job loss. It might be something in your life you didn't need or didn't want to happen. You're in great trouble and shame. I wonder what happens when the report here uh, comes. This to me is profound. I strive or I long to follow Nehemiah's lead here. So what happens when you get bad news about your own life, about someone else? As soon as I heard these words, now watch, listen, there's so much in the Hebrew here, literally, you could get into, I sat down. I, I sat down. I didn't get frantic and running all over. I just sat down and I wept and I mourned for days. And I continued fasting and praying before the God of heaven. I said, oh, Lord, God of heaven. He goes vertical. That's a key thing in our lives when something happens is to go vertical. You may not want to. Shortest prayer in the Bible. Remember, Peter's going underwater. I hate to tell you, every one of us, freaking, we would have taken our eyes off Jesus and gone down. Every one of us would have denied him. We would have cursed and said, I don't know him. We would have bitten the fruit in Genesis 3. You might as well, we all would have done that. Shortest prayer in the Bible is, Lord, save me. O Lord God of heaven, the great and awesome God, who keeps your covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments, that your ear be attentive and your eyes open to hear <clears throat> the prayer of your servant, that I pray before you day and night. So he's just fervently praying, seeking God. And he does something really interesting here that we as men, I think, could really benefit from. <clears throat> Not just for me, but I'm praying for the people of Israel, your servants, confessing the sins of the people of Israel, we have sinned against you. And I and my father's house have sinned. It's always good once in your lifetime or 10 times in your lifetime to take a look back at daddy, mama too, naming, not blaming, we're not here, don't go to counseling and bash your parents, naming, not blaming, just name it, tell the story. <clears throat> what was dad like? If the sins of the fathers are visible in the third and fourth generations, just look at dad. <clears throat> look at his dad before. When no one's around, maybe there's still an, an aunt or an uncle you can go back and learn what was going on. Addictions run down through families, sexual infidelity runs down, <clears throat> anger. Like, why are we so pissed as guys? Why are we so angry? And we look back, well, my old man, dad was, his dad before him. Nehemiah confesses even the sins of his father. 
And then this line here, in the New Testament, in the Greek, the Greek word for, for confess, you don't need to know the word, but it literally means to say the same thing as. So a lot of people I work with, they admit stuff, or they just, quote, admit their sins, but they never confess. They never say the exact same thing as. Well, I kind of sort of you know, treated you like crap, and I'm sorry. I was kind of sort of mean to go to God. That's why David in Psalm 51 could say, it's thee and the only of I sin. <laughs> Have mercy on me, oh God. He names it. Nehemiah is naming the people's sins. He's naming his sins, his father's sins. And listen to this word, we have acted very corruptly against you. Just to name it and say, I didn't just kind of slip. Lord, man, this has been, to quote Jesus and John, uh, you're a murderer in your heart, you're an adulterer in your heart. When I ask you to shame yourself, but just call it like it is. Tell it like it is. We've acted very corruptly against you. Now, if you're following <clears throat> in your Bible on the screen, I'm going to jump around. He said, remember what you said to Moses, you're unfaithful, I'll scatter you among the people. And then here comes a profound teaching. It's all through the Bible, but if you return, you ought to have that somewhere on the dash of your car or your mirror, your bathroom or somewhere. But if you return, but if you return, Deuteronomy 30, I've said before you this day, life, death, blessing, cursing. I say to you, choose life. If you've been down a path of death and cursing, start choosing life that you and your children may live, that you and your children may live. But if you return, so no matter where you've been today, I don't know your interior world right now, where you are really inside, return. You know, I independent Baptist faith, I grew up, and people can make fun of it. This is part of my story. But we had a thing called rededicate your life. You'd walk a church aisle. Is there anybody that had anyone, no matter what your denomination, you ever remember walking a church aisle? One, thank you. Two, do we dedicate your life? Yeah, that's just you ain't doing anything. No, we were trying. We were trying to say, I want to return. It literally gave you a place to walk and return. But if you return, God says, though you be dispersed under the farthest skies, though your life is devastated right now. You've been found out, some other problem. I tell you what I'll do, I'll gather them from there and bring them to the place that I've chosen to make my name dwell there. Because we're your people, God. You've redeemed us by your strong and powerful hand. So, Lord, hear the prayer of your servant give today for all the servants who delight to fear your name and before no kidding before joel osteen did it before norman vincent peel robert Schuler, what happened grant us success today one version says grant us favor because he's fixing to go in and talk to the king you get to say in your life morning noon or night lord would you grant me success here i'm going to this business meeting i'm going to something i need to close on this house i need success with my wife or in some conversation or in my parenting or in surgery it's not a demand it's a desire god would you grant me success it's right here in nehemiah I was a cupbearer of the king, chapter 2. So he goes before King Artaxerxes. Now, if you're not taking notes, you don't need to. <clears throat> I don't know if this video goes away. Do they get to watch this later? Good. Hi, everybody on the video. There are going to be four key questions here, and then you can tune me out. Tune me out the whole time. That's up to you. But get these four questions for every relationship you have. It's so profound, and it's right out of the B-I-B-L-E. So when you're the cupbearer of the king, you just need to know you don't want to go in there sad. You don't want to go in there looking squirrely, because off could go your head, right? He goes to the king. Key line here, now I had never been sad in his presence before. He's admitting it. Don't be sad going in there. It's like the posers that all of us do at time to time going to church. And how you doing? And it's the Christian effort every Sunday morning. Fine. 
It's like, you're not fine. And fine stands for fouled up, insecure, neurotic, and emotional. Anyhow, so like, you're really not fine. What am I supposed to say at church? I'm just glad to be at church today. I didn't say open the kimono and tell them everything wrong in your life. <laughs> That's too much reality for a Sunday morning. So I'm just glad to be here. Okay? Nehemiah doesn't say fine. Here come the questions. I've never been sad in his presence. The king looked at him and he said, question one, why is your face sad since I know you're not sick? This could only be a sadness of the heart. You get to, come on, guys, you see it. You've seen someone go, he's pissed. He's angry. He looks sad. Something's, his eyes are darting. So the first question, you could say, why are you sad? Or they'll say, hey, the way I put it is, well, I see something. What's going on, bud? Just ask him, what's going on? We're going to change it to, how, how are you doing? How are you really doing? Get coffee over here. Don't ask him the middle of the crowd. How, how are you really doing? Could be wrong, but it looks like you look kind of sad today. So question one, for a king with all the power to say, but he asks this, watch, why is your face sad since I know you're not sick? This can be nothing but the sadness of the heart. Those of us, at least two of us in the room have admitted it, there may be more struggle with what we call sex addiction, porn addiction, that doesn't mean you do, but there's some problem. We men hide, we pose, and so inside, we don't want to ask somebody, what's it really like going inside? How are you really doing we really notice something in a person and we ignore it. Or we don't want them to ask us. This could be nothing but a sadness of the heart. He's thinking, as my mentor Larry Crabb said, think beneath. Boy, you look sad over there in your eyes. Think beneath. I wonder what, what's going on. Oh, we have a medical report. It could be that. Think beneath. Someone says, well, you know, always think a little deeper. I wonder what's deeper. You know what you have there? Proverbs 20, verse 5. The purposes in a man's heart are deep waters. So a man of understanding draws them out. I swam with sharks one month ago. I did with my wife in a cage in Hawaii. And the guy said, so you put you in this cage, you go out, and I have my GoPro, and all these 12, 8-foot, 12-foot long sharks. And he said, you were out in, and I'd never been in that deep out in blue. It looked like the Discovery Channel. You're in 500 feet deep water. <clears throat> I'm in a cage. We didn't go down. We were on the back of this boat. But I thought, man, and I actually did at one point think of Proverbs 20, verse 5. No snorkeling, scuba, go deep. The purpose is in someone's heart that you know right now, maybe in this room, in their heart, they're deep water. So you go down deep with them and draw them out. Now, I've never scuba I've done a lot of snorkeling, but I am told there's a thing called the bends. So you go in and go, let's just get naked right here. Guys do this in men's groups. My God, I'm coming in. I'm going to, let's get real. Let's get the kimono open. Let's just get real. I go, dude, close the robe. I don't want all that. And, so I'm either hiding and posing, let's get real. It's like, no, that's, no, you, there's intimacy. You, know? you go down slowly. You just don't go down 50 feet deep, right? Why should my face be sad? The king says, um, again, what's going on? That's my way I put it. That's question one. Nehemiah is not rude, but he says, oh, king, let the king live forever. Notice the humility. I honor you, king. May you live forever. Now he talks about congruency, fancy word for the inside matching the out. Why shouldn't my face be sad? Because it sucks in my life right now. That is in the Hebrew. It says it. Because my face is sad because the city, the place of my father's graves, lies in ruins. Its gates have been destroyed by fire. It's not pretty. It matches. Yeah, you, you see something. I look off today. That's why. Comes the second question, which is the number one question I've ever asked in counseling. Jesus asked it in the form of, what are you thirsty for? 
And I mean, I tell you, this scares most people. They come in, well, here's the problem, swipe the credit card, you know, all the stuff we have to do. Here's this problem, that problem. And they did it, my wife, this, my that, something's going on. I go, where's well, the question? The king says, so what do you want? That's a showstopper. What do you want? You just fussing and now all this stuff. And what do you want? C.S. Lewis, the great author, said what? We're actually far too easily satisfied. We actually want too little. For we are content to go about making mud pies in a slum when God's offered us a holiday, a vacation in Orange Beach, or for me in Hawaii a month ago. We're just content to, to be in a slum making little mud pies. He says, what do you want? And I posit this statement here. What do you really, really want? Joe, you sure that's what you want? You know? There's a day to have a water burger. I had one yesterday because I can't get them in North Carolina. But from time to time, I've been here with Rome, like pretty much every time. And we go to Doe's or some of these places. My wife and I eat at Cracker Barrel, I swear. And I, I'm going, holy cow. And we're just eating this. You know, there's water burger, then there's Doe's. Is that right? Doe's? Or there's some steakhouse. And I'm going, holy cow. We're far too easily satisfied. What do you want? Well, I'm sad because the whole world's devastated back home. He says, what do you want? Thank you. And Nehemiah gets specific. What's going on? Question one, number two, what do you want? So I pray to the God of heaven. I just love that. He goes vertical. Praise to the God of heaven. If it pleases the king, notice the humility. If I found favor in your sight, very simply, would you send me back home that I can rebuild it? I just need to rebuild my life. I need to work. It's time. Okay, it's just time to start working on this part of my life, or many parts of my life. I need help. We know as counselors, one of the number one things that Bethesda, Rona, Cena, workshop that I used to do, we would have a maze up, put guys blindfolded in the maze, and therapists would walk around with them and say, there's a way out of the maze. The therapists aren't blindfolded, help. And it was the doctors, the lawyers, the engineers, the more high, and the pastors, the more higher the intellect. And the way out of the maze was you could ask us any question. They would just stay in there. They would fake, blow up the maze in the end because you know how to get out. Ask us a question. They would die before they said, will you help me? Was it this way or that way? Is the exit this way or that? And maybe you're today trying to figure everything out in your life and saying, will you help me? You come to a therapist in five sessions just griping about everything and how bad it is, fine, but will you help me? What do you want? Here's what I want. I just need to go rebuild my life. So the king there set him aside or the queen beside him to ask this question. So how long is it going to take? That's a big reason a lot of people don't do discipleship or stay with it or the whole deer camp movement down here or counseling is how long is it going to take? I want to be heard of this morning. I want a quick fix. How long is it going to take if you have a marital problem? How long is it going to take to really work through this, a good, strong work ethic to be the man God's called you to be? How long is it going to take? Remember the number one cry in the Old Testament was, how long, O Lord? How long is it going to take? I love this. And Nehemiah then says at this point, he set a time. Nehemiah said, this is how long it's going to take. So this question is, how long is this journey going to be for you? And then the last question is not asked here, but it's certainly implied, is the king says, all right, not just get out, take off, just go do your rebuilding. He says, well, what do you need? You better if you're going to start on my journey. I want to change. I want to fix any part of my life, whether it's coaching, counseling, brothers, discipleship, iron sharpening iron. What do you need for this? And kind of what don't you need? Like, what do you need? What do you not need? And he says, well, I need to go. There's this guy over here that will give me letters so I can get beyond the river. 
I need safe passage. I had TSA pre, you might know what that is. Yesterday, my wife and I both had it at Charlotte International Airport, long line for the regular TSA pre we went through. I had a little thing that says, now, whether you get this or not, it's not political. I now have in my wallet a vaccination card. I fly all the time, and I know it's coming. They're going to say, your ass is not getting on the plane until you have that card. So I don't have to worry about politics or philosophy. I know I ain't getting on that plane. It's, it's coming, and I fly too much to do things. So I said, okay. So I have safe passage if they come to that. That's what EMI has. He says, I want letters to get beyond it. But then he says, I need to go to Home Depot or Lowe's or pick your favorite lumber place. He said, because I need to go to ASAP. He's keeper of the King's Forest. That he will give me the lumber, the timber, later as they're rebuilding. I mean, literally, it says the nuts and bolts and bars. If you're going to go rebuild your life, then you're going to do it. You need what are the tools for recovery? What are the tools for just living the life you want to need? And that's what he needs. And then he says this. How do you do this when you're the, when you're the, the cupbearer of the king? And he said, I'm going to build the temple. We're going to need beams, uh, beams for the gates of the temple, the wall of the city, and this, the house that I'll occupy there. <laughs> it doesn't say really later how that goes, but you're the cupbearer of the king. You're here, but you're actually telling the king, and I will occupy there. What a vision. I'm going to go live there. We will not just stay in derision anymore. Honey, this marriage, we're going to do everything we can. We're going to occupy a house here. We're going to live. Most people inspect the house they're going to buy, Carfax, the car they're going to buy, the, the whatever they need to do, the new job they're going to take. If they get job transfer the city, whatever, all the comps around the school systems, they inspect all that, and they get a new relationship or get married, and they've not inspected anything. I say, you inspect the house, but you haven't inspected the home that's going to even live in that house. Those of us, three of us for sure, have married couples, and they were, you've never, well, obviously you know, we've talked about it, Howard Hendricks, you've had him on video here. I went to Dallas Seminary, and Prof. Hendricks said one time, he said, there are people in North Dallas, they're spending tens of thousands on a wedding, and they won't spend a hundred dollars on premarital counseling. It's like, we got this thing all wrong. Yeah. And then this line, it's my favorite line in this book. So the king granted me what I asked for. Look, good hand. You know that hand roll we talk about? The good hand of my God is upon me. You'll find out he didn't go blab that everywhere. You'll see he didn't go tell about it, but he knew it. The good hand. Of, so men today, I promise you, the good hand of our God is upon you. And it literally translated as God's hand is on you for good. So you got to believe that. When you can't feel God's presence, know his hand is there. The good hand of my God, whatever you want to go do, is upon you. So sure enough, he goes out and says, it's time to get over to ground zero and see what it's like. And then you have a, a statement here that bounces like Tigger all over this passage. This is from your friend Jim. You want to know who in your life right now or historically back here is the Sanballat a name and Tobiah. These are the enemies. But when Sanballat and Tobiah heard that they were just starting off to rebuild their life, he's going to change. I don't care if it's weight loss or getting my life in order financially or trying to not you know be a better husband or better father or just be a better dude. They go out and says, but when Sanballat and Tobiah heard this, that they were just going to rebuild it, displeased them greatly. Why? Someone had just come to seek the welfare of the people of Israel. They have no stake in the drama, but they're mad. He goes to Jerusalem. He's there three days. He arises in the night. Just a few men with me. And notice, I told no one what my God had put in my heart to do for Jerusalem. It was a time to, for us, me too, to keep our mouth shut and just say, I know what God showed me. 
and I don't have to get on, you know, and tweet it or get on social media and say, yeah, that's what God has shown me is just to keep it privately like Mary did. Remember the birth of Christ before the pregnancy and Mary pondered these things in her heart. So he goes to the different parts of the wall. Walls are broken down. Now he can see and smell. He's at ground zero. The gates that have been destroyed by fire. And then he said, as he goes down at night, just took a few people with him. The officials didn't know what he was doing. And I said to them, and this is the line that I say for some of you today, whether it's true for you exactly or not at this moment, there will be a moment. He says, you know what? You see now how we are in trouble and how Jerusalem lies in ruins and gates. But you might say it to your wife, we're not in a good place in the marriage. Or this is a situation in my job or something in life I've been struggling with. And you, you see, it's not good. Love the line next. Come, let us rebuild the wall of Jerusalem that will no longer suffer derision. You just turn to a buddy somewhere and say, let's, let's rebuild. Let's, how about we rebuild life together? We need to change this. We've been mean, angry, sarcastic. We're not loving and cherishing our wives. We have secrets that we're hiding that no one knows. Maybe the great devastating one that maybe someone in this room says, there are days I want to kill myself. Well, the suicidal person doesn't want to die. They just don't want to keep living in pain. What's your secret? What's inside? Come, let's, hey, let's, fellows, let's go rebuild. Then I told them finally, for the good hand of my God was upon me. And I told them the words of kings had spoken to me. He said, we get the king's blessing. We can do this. What's to say next? This. People said, then let's rise up and build. You don't want to do this life on the wall thing by yourself. Guys around you say, let's, re let's do this thing. I got you. Well, that's your vision. Yeah, like, well, I don't care if you want to build a swing set for your grandkids in the backyard. I'll come over. Let's, let's build this thing. You know, we got to admit as real men, you're never going to look at the directions. You just jump in. Because if you look at the directions, your wife will think you don't know what you're doing. You can do this without the directions. You know, but let's rebuild this thing. Let's see this. So what? They strengthen their hands for the good work. Look, if things are going well in your life right now, watch this. I hope they are. Watch. You prepare in times of strength for coming times of weakness. You prepare in times of strength for coming times of weakness. Well, things are great right now. Work harder. Get ready. And don't be obsessed with what's going to happen. It's going to catastrophic thinking. No, but when the weak times come, ah, I've prepared for this moment. Me and Road have prepared. We've talked about it. I got my buddy. They said, let us rise up and build so they strengthen their hands for good. And the work they needed to do, but when Sam Ballot, and it's just time and time again, they said, what's this thing you're doing? You sure you're not rebelling against the king? And Nehemiah said this, when people are attacking you, what does he do? He goes vertical. He doesn't, there's idiot people out there. He says, the God of heaven will make us prosper. And we as a servants, dang straight, we will arise and build. But you, you, see, you enemies, you have no right claim portion in Jerusalem of my rebuilding. And you sit there and talk with a fool according to their folly. You cast your pearls before a swine, family member somebody, little children, the little boy in us wants to explain, the adult informs. Did you hear that? The little kid in me wants to explain, the adult informs. I'm not, you're not, I'm not having this conversation. Never say to someone, we're not having this conversation. I'm manipulating the person says, well, yes, we are. I'm not having this conversation. People who are naysayers in your life, someday get a three by five card and say, who are my enemies right now? Perceive the real. They just want to do me harm. God in heaven will make us prosper. Chapter 3 is nothing about life on the wall. You can read it on your own, and it says next to him, next to him, next to him, next to him. You can't do this alone. 
you need some, you, you know, you need what I call your Jerusalem. That's you with maybe one type person. This is Acts 1.8 that I'm stealing from. Then you need your Judea. You need some tighter buddies there. Then Jerusalem. Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the outermost parts of the world. Let me reverse engineer that. You have friends out here in the outer band, then three or four or five inner band, and then you get down with someone more even closer, and then that red dot inside you, just one or two, there's going to be life on the wall with you. Name those people and try to get open and honest with them. So they're rebuilding the wall. Somebody else in the wall with them, and it says everybody's helping. And then, you ever heard of Tacoa Falls, Georgia? Probably some of you have. It says, except for the leaders of Tacoa who refuse to help. So there'll be people in your life, they're not there to harm you, but they're not going to help you. You ought to know who your leaders of Tacoa are in your life. They're just not going to be helpful to you, not necessarily harmful. So that's chapter three. Chapter four, when Sam Ballot, and it applies later, Tobiah, the two enemies heard that the wall was actually being rebuilt. They were angry, greatly enraged, and they jeered at the Jews. What are these idiots doing? What are these feeble Jews doing? Are they going to restore it for themselves? Will they sacrifice? Will they finish it up in a day? Sarcasm, literally the Greek word for flesh is sarks. So sarcasm is a tearing of the flesh. Rage at someone is an orange Home Depot uh, bucket full of the hottest coffee and just at Joe, whoosh, scald again. Sarcasm is taking a squirt gun in the same hot bucket and when he can't look, just passive aggressively, just getting him from the side, still burns him. So sarcasm, that's what he's building here. You idiot, you are restoring, you're going to start sacrifices. Watch for sarcastic people. Very passive aggressive trying to snipe you from the side. They're out there. Tobias says, yeah, look what they're building. Look at this guy. He's recovering in his life. He's rebuilding his life. If a little fox goes up on his wall, he'll, the little fox will break it down. People to mock you. You know you'll never change. And maybe for you, it's a voice from your past of someone who haunts you and says, son, you'll never change. You'll never make it. And you've spent your life, as Brene Brown says, hustling for your worthiness. Just hustling today for your worthiness. Can I be worthy? He says, all right, here, O God, for we're despised. Turn back their taunt on their own heads. Give them to be plundered in a land where they are captives. Don't cover their guilt. Don't let their sin be blotted out. Why? Listen, it's not about Nehemiah. No, God, they provoke you to anger in the presence of your builders. They're mocking you, God, and you think it's all about you. The guy hurt you. Somebody hurt you. He says, they're provoking you. So we rebuilt the wall. The wall is now joined to half its original height for the people, listen, had a bind to work. You need a mind to work on your life, whatever that is. If you fall down seven days, then get up on the eighth one and say, I got to get back to working on my life. But when Sam Ballant and Tobiah heard that the repairs were happening, everything's going forward, breaches closed, they now were very angry. And they started to plot together to come against all of Jerusalem. So we prayed to our God and set a protection against them day and night. In Judea, it was said, you know this in your life somewhere. The strength of those who bear the burdens is failing. There's so much rubble by ourselves. We can't rebuild it. You've already got halfway rebuilt. The success is going on. We're tired. Watch for those moments in your life when you're tired. And our enemies saying to us, they will not know or see success until we come among them and kill them and stop the work. Stationed the people by their clans with their swords, their spears, and their bows. I looked and arose and said to the nobles, the people there who were there, 
Do not be afraid of those enemies. Remember the Lord. Notice, horizontal, don't be afraid of them, vertical. Remember the Lord who's great and awesome, and then watch. You need to do this. Fight for your brothers in this room, deer camp, other places. You always got to fight for your brothers, but then for your sons, your daughters, your wives, and your homes. There's a rally cry to say, I'm going to fight for all of us here and for our wives and our children. So as they continue to work, Nehemiah does something. He says, you know, the work's greatly and widely spread. We're separating the wall. So you need a rally cry in your life. Here's the rally cry. He says, this guy right beside me with the trumpet's going to blow it. And when the place where you hear the sound of the trumpet, rally to us, therefore, our God will fight for us. Who's on your text list? Your call list? Who's your rally cry? He calls and says, hey, blow the trumpet. Come here. I'll help you. You need a rally cry and a rally cry trumpet blower in your life. And then so they labored at the work. And then he says this passage, this, this verse that I love, and he says, I'm going to have a guy with a sword in one hand to fight, but a trowel in the other hand to keep rebuilding. We just lay our rebuilding down and just start fighting the enemies. Or we just keep rebuilding, not knowing the enemies back there. So in life, as you're rebuilding life on your wall, you want to have a sword, a sword in one hand to fight and defend if ready, and you want to have a trowel to continue to rebuild. What happens here as we close is very interesting. You know, they just keep progressing up and down. Finally, Nehemiah is there, and they're, they're getting the wall completely rebuilt. And uh, Sam Ballant and Tobiah, they send a messenger, and they say, here's the deal. Nothing's worked so far to get those suckers to let us in. We want to come in and do harm. He says, hey, we're out here. Let's go to Switzerland. Let's go to a neutral place. Come out that we might have counsel with thee and talk with thee. And see, they're trying to seduce them out. Nehemiah knew, it says in the text, he knew what they were up to. And he says, no, we're busy working. We cannot come down. I love it. We're too busy. No, we're, we're, no I don't have time for that bull crap. We're, we're busy rebuilding. They knew they were going to do us harm. So you got to watch for people who stop fighting you. And they listen, even guys, they try to seduce you. Someone's trying to, they can't get you one way. They're going to say, come out here somewhere, but they're ready to absolutely destroy you. Of course, they rebuild the wall, and then they bring Ezra out to read the word of God. Success happened as was promised. So in your life, you got to have a vision and all those four questions and know who your enemies are. I beg you to get a three-by-five card or a sheet of paper or your phone and say, here are my enemies right now. There are only three. Remember, the Bible say world, flesh, devil. Put world, flesh, devil and name. There are my enemies here. There are my enemies here. What are the enemies of the flesh? you got to know. I have a pillow in my uh, office that I use. It says, uh, lead me not into temptation. I can find my own way there. <laughs> and it's like we're out there blaming the devil for stuff. And I tell clients all the time, I said, the devil, you know, there's a war in lion seeking him to may devour. But half the time, the Satan's sitting over there on a hill smoking a cigarette and drinking a Bud Light because I'm screwing my own life up. One of my own enemies are the flesh, the world, and certainly Satan. Life on the wall Think of the questions. Maybe imply those or apply those questions to some brothers this week or the next few weeks. Notice people around you and find out your rally cry for yourself. Know who you need to blow that trumpet or will help you. God, may you bless your word today. And all that's been said, help us as men, Lord. We want to fight the good fight. We want to finish the course and keep the faith. In Christ's name, amen. 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 sit under the teaching of God's Word. Uh, may you feast on it all the days of your life. Have a great week. See you next week.